Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting. And I'm thinking about changing the name to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. I Because I've kind of worried that, you know, we talk about so many different things here on the podcast, and I worry that our podcast might get lost in some of the other excellent podcasts out there that focus on, you know, pregnancy and parenthood. And the thing that makes ours really different is the politics part of it. You know, there's a lot of politics that goes into healthcare and women's rights and pregnancy standards of care and parental leave and childcare policies and feminism and then some. The original delivery definition of politics comes from the word polis, which is Greek for city or community. And politics is the science and art of governing citizens. Now, if that's not a solid definition and job description for parenting, then I don't know what is. So that's why I'm thinking about changing the name of Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. Thinking about it, still, you know, Feel free to chime in on that. You can email me over at Jean at Jean Faulkner and let me know what you think. Anyway, we have a good long chat coming our way with today's guest, and we're going to talk about something that is at the absolute heart of all of our lives, every single family, community, and city. It's what makes the world move, and it's something most of us spend a lot of time thinking about. I'm talking about money and specifically how women relate to it. Um... And how family finances change with parenthood. So last year, I needed some financial advice. And I looked around for, you know, a, a good advisor. I asked a bunch of friends and got some names. And almost all of the names that I received uh, were from men. And, you know, I intentionally wanted to work with a woman. Because frankly, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm working with men um, in authority positions, especially around money, they can be a little patronizing. And women tend to make me feel a little bit more comfortable. I trust them more. So yeah, is that sexist? Probably. Sorry about that. But I went looking for a female financial advisor, and I found one right here in my hometown through a friend of a friend. And you know, I don't have a huge amount of experience with financial advisors. So when I met Charlene Charisma, she and I clicked right away. And I'm super glad too, because that first meeting was incredibly emotional. And I had not expected that. Charlene confided that most people get the big feels when they sit down in her chair. And her job is to help people navigate through all that to make the right decisions for their goals and their future. Charlene especially likes working with women because too often they're focused on other things besides their own finances, and she likes giving women the information they need to take control. We got to talking about how money impacts families and marriages and women in particular. Oh, and we talked about Burning Man and her super hot cat wardrobe. Yeah, cats. And I thought that would make a super great episode. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Charlene Charisma and I met in her offices here in Portland, so our sound quality may sound just a little different than usual. Bear with us, though, because money, motherhood, and women are super important. Charlene Charisma is a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual, and her goal is to inspire clients to dream courageously and live with purpose. She runs a broad practice and works with a team of specialists to offer 
flexible financial planning for millennials and digital creatives, guidance with multi-generational and estate planning, comprehensive planning for small business owners, foundational planning for young families. Here's our target audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now that I've read your professional bio, my first question is, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Wow, that's a very existential question, isn't it? Um, That's why I ask it first. (laughs) So um, I'd like to say that I'm an artist destined to a life of sales. I guess that's kind of the easiest way to do it. Um, I don't know. I'm a creative at heart, and I I do financial planning, which I know sounds really um, boring. Uh, It's not. Um, My background's actually in psychology, and I think that... um, this is a people business. Um, I love meeting people where they are and pulling out their undeniable truths. Um, and sometimes those are scary for people to recognize, but um, I come to the situation without any judgment. I kind of, I don't care what you're into as long as you are. I'll just kind of help you build the safest and best way to get there. Mm-hmm. I think that's for the most part. And that takes a lot of creativity because it's a tetrising of where all the money is and where is it going and how can we um, stretch a paycheck um, or do we prolong timelines for things but I really like to help people build the life that they want um, but you got to meet them where they are because otherwise I think that becomes so daunting for most people if they're like oh well, I don't make a lot of money and it's not what you make it's what you spend and designing the life that you want to live I think sometimes we just have money bleed out willy-nilly. Well, that's a really good description of your work life. <laughs> but I don't think you answered the question. Oh, who I am. Who you are. And sometimes it's easier for people to answer that if they are talking about what they're doing in their off work hours. So I'm still very much a creative, and I think that I, I think I come back to work. I won't right now, but just I think the reason why that's the first thing is that I, I work a lot, <laughs> but I love that. So as far as what I do in my off hours, um, I'm an activist, I'd say. I definitely engage in politics. Um, And in fact, for a long time, I did a political television show. So if I'm going to do something political, I like to have some type of creative, artistic outlet to do that. So um, whether it's painting or designing costumes or doing some type of culture jamming, if you will, um, I love doing that type of stuff. Um, I'm also very much... Um, I don't have children of my own. I do have a a stepdaughter, but I'm a daughter and I'm a wife and I'm a sister. Um, I try to uh, travel to California as often as I can, um, usually about every six to eight weeks to visit my parents. Um, I'm the youngest of four kids and I'm very much still the baby of the family, but as my parents have aged, you know, we only have so much time and at that point work can wait. <laughs> so true. I'm the baby of the family too. And we're supposed to be the ones who get to be irresponsible and carefree. What the heck? I did that. I think that I did that all in, um, I would like to say high school, but it's mainly college. In high school, I was definitely a rebel. I was, I was a goth. Um, that was the way to express, again, my political angst of uh, authority, I think. I don't think it's all that gone, because <laughs> you and I were just talking about your Burning Man costume. Uh, true, true. Although I don't wear as much black. I think that almost like bright colors is the new goth. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, animal prints, the new black. Yeah. Um, and there's something to do with cats. Oh, well, so I, I try to incorporate cats in my everyday. Like I have my little cat lady pin here on my... 
on my sweater. It's certainly um, after the election, uh, so again, on the political side of things, um, after the election, I tried to incorporate cats in everything that I wear. It kind of have become my pussy uniform, if you will. <laughs> I love that so much. Guess which election we're talking about. It's not a school board. Um, but yeah, since the presidential election, um, I tried to incorporate cats. It's my almost my uniform uh, for the resistance. And there are different subtle ways. Um, and I like when people ask about it, of like, oh, I like your cat lover pin. Or, oh my god, the collar on your, your shirt. It's a cat. That's adorable. And then I let them know, yeah, since the Trump administration, since the election, <laughs> this is kind of my pussy uniform. There are a million ways to be an actress, and that is just about my most favorite one. I like... Um, I guess I, I guess I just like to toy, and I think that that's what I'm saying. With you know, I do, I did comedy for many years. I still do comedy in my own right, but I think it's really being playful and playfully subversive. Um, otherwise, you can come off very, like you know, it's very easy to get a rant on. Yeah, <laughs> certainly when we're passionate people. Yeah. Um, but I like to take more of the playful, subversive routes that you're still intentional with what you're doing and proving a point but you can still be playful and still be taken seriously. Yeah, you don't always have to bludgeon people to raise awareness. No, no, I'm 5'3". I'm not very intimidating. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> work with what you got. So a lot of my listeners are just starting their families or, you know, they're expecting. Mm -hmm. And if they're anything like my husband and I were back in the old, old days, they're relatively new in their careers mm -hmm. and may or may not have any financial stability. And... Foundational planning, which mm -hmm. I think is mentioned in your job title, mm -hmm. um, isn't really part of their profiles. It isn't mm -hmm. what they're doing. They're, yeah. they're scrambling. It's the scramble years. And then, you know, you're having a baby, which seems like it's all about spending. And considering the, you know, kind of support that parents get, which is very little in the mm -hmm. United States, how how is this a foundational planning time? So I think, um, obviously, for those that want to start a family, um, starting out in just in general of trying to build an emergency fund, you know, um, finding ways, first knowing your habits. Are you someone, if you see money in the bank, you're like, oh, I have that. I'm mm -hmm. going to spend it. Or if you know you're getting paid on Friday, do you start spending that on Wednesday? Yeah. Just knowing your habits um, is going to be first, first and foremost important. And then also understanding what it costs to be you on a monthly basis. So I think that um, a lot of us have the money coming in and it all goes to bills, but there's a lot of things that we spend money on that's not necessarily essential, but also doesn't really bring us joy. So I think figuring out what brings you joy, I think that there, when when people, um, when parents will sacrifice anything for their children, and, and, and I see that all the time, um, you make it work, but I think sometimes we make it at the detriment or we do it without a plan. We just keep fighting through it. So I think having a plan in place is first and foremost. So if you're starting to have a family or you're pregnant and getting ready to have a family or um, you have kids now, first really see what does it take to be you on a monthly basis? What's your rent? What's your groceries? Not dining out, but like your groceries. What are all those things? And then how much do you have left? And then we start divvying that up in just emergency fund cash in the bank. What are we gonna spend on the baby this month? Um, 
Also looking at what your benefits are through work. And I know that a lot of us don't have maternity leave, like kind of like you said in America. Yeah. We're, the, we're the country of family values, but not really. Yeah, we have a lot of family <laughs> values until the baby is born. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that, but looking to see what benefits you have through work. So do you have access to a flexible spending account? Um, if you already know that you, um, do you have access to short-term disability? Can you buy into it so you can maybe have some of your time off being paid? Um, but with a flexible spending account, you can actually put money in pre-tax, and you can use that for childcare costs, or you can use that for medical costs. So knowing that that money is going to be spent anyway, why not save it out of your paycheck and then get some tax savings along with it? So just knowing what the tools are out there. Mm -hmm. um, also looking at um, if you have family that's close, are there ways that you can get a break and some respite here and there? Mm -hmm. um, do you have siblings that have had uh, kids before and can you get clothes? Mm -hmm. Can you get the crib? And if you're going to be investing in a crib from scratch, can you have one that starts as a crib that then turns into a day bed that then turns into a bed? So you're buying one thing. Yeah. And then are there options to finance it at low interest rates? So just seeing what your tools are, because I think that too often um, we react, especially we women that tend to be the project managers of our house. Um, we work, we raise the family. Um, primarily, mm -hmm. um, but we're also, even if we're not doing the cooking, most likely we're going to the grocery store mm -hmm. or we're the ones um, making sure that PGE, got, the, the electric bill got paid. Yeah. All of those things, we mm -hmm. end up taking on so many different things. So it's like, I don't want to take on another thing, but then we end up grasping at things. Mm -hmm. And just if you take a little bit of time, maybe a, a couple hours on a weekend and just have things as automatic as possible mm -hmm. and just minimize the okay I gotta get I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do this just start batching some of those responsibilities um, and then also start batching some of the um, resources that you can get from friends and family so that I can imagine that some of my listeners are going to be saying, yeah, well, that's great. She's talking mm -hmm. to women who have jobs with flexible spending accounts. Mm -hmm. But what about me? I'm 25 and I'm just trying to get through college and mm -hmm. I work at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Is there is there foundational is there a foundation for women like who are working like that? Um, well, if you are if you're if you are married, seeing what your spouse has as well, because you can do those jointly. Um, and if you don't have something like that, then again, it really comes down to knowing where your dollars are going, which can be really enlightening. It, yeah, it will blow you away. And so you know, um, yes, I'm coming from a you know I, I'm I'm running a financial planning practice. Um, and your listeners might think, oh, well, she makes an awful lot of money. She doesn't have to think about these things. Um, my parents are immigrants, so I, I grew up poor. And not only that, growing my business, um, when you start a business from scratch, like, you don't have a salary. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have benefits. It's about the hustle. It is the hustle. And yeah. that hustle is like pushing a snowball up a hill for a good five years before you're on the other side of that. Yeah. And I just got to the top of that mountain. And now, I've, you know, I kind of spent a little bit of last year just like taking a break in the view and just like pat myself on the back. And yeah. now it's like... Now I got to control the snowball going down, like right. So it doesn't, um, so I don't get swept away in it. Right. But you know, my my parents came to this country not knowing any English. 
Um, they had uh, four kids, 22 months apart. Um, I was an accident. Uh, my I'm number eight. I'm an accident. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my, my parents were actually uh, going to, uh, they were going to terminate my, my mom's pregnancy. And I found that out much later. Um, my parents are really Catholic, so that was the thing that saved me. But um, the reason why they were going to do that is um, my dad has, um, uh, he does not have a high school education, let alone a college education. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a laborer. And so when my mom got pregnant with me, they planned the other three kids, but they were in a three-bedroom house. Um, my brother had one room, my sister shared a room, and then my parents shared a room. And when they were pregnant with me at the time, my dad was a house painter, he was a janitor, and then he did seasonal um, work in a cannery. So I don't know if, uh, depending on how old all your viewers are, but I grew up in Silicon Valley, I grew up in San Jose. And before San Jose was a tech mecca, it was tree orchards yeah. and canneries um, before Tektronics came in. Right. And so my dad worked, um, he worked for Beech Nut, which was like the little life... Baby food? Uh, and Lifesavers. Oh, yeah. Those... Oh! <laughs> yeah. So he worked on the line with that. Yeah. Uh, he also um, canned tuna. So, I mean, like, he did seasonal canning work. Yeah. And seasonal just factory work. Um, well, as Silicon Valley started becoming what it is today, those canneries started shutting down, so the seasonal job was lost. And so my dad then just started painting more houses and then working um, later and later. So he would, as a janitor, he would like uh, be a, work in office buildings, so like late at night, and then during the day he would paint, and at night he would clean. And um, my mom worked too, so... Um, you know, we had neighbors babysit us. We never, you know, it's not like we had daycare or anything like that. I know that the time is different, but my mom showed me a book that my parents kept. I haven't thought about this. No, I don't want to cry. My mom showed me this this notebook that she had that had every single dollar that came in and out. And we didn't we didn't go out to eat. And I'm not saying that that's easy for families either to then cook. But we ate fried sardines and potatoes every day. And I remember being in elementary school because all my friends would like be eating, you know, I grew up in the 80s and they're having like Kraft macaroni and cheese right, and things. Right. And I'm like, fried sardines where I'm picking out bones and like there's yep. fried eyes in them. And yeah. then you seasoned it with oil and vinegar. Like that's how we grew up. And I think that those are some of the sacrifices that, you know, you got to, as my dad says, you got to live your own life because you die your own death. Oh. That's I good. Know. <laughs> That's good. You got to live your own life because you die your own death. And I think that you got to figure out what's what are things worth, um, and what's what are you willing to fight for? And we're all willing to fight for our families. And I think that sometimes we grow so frustrated, um, and the unfairness and the unjustness of systems that are there. And there are certainly people like myself and like you that will continue to fight for justice on that end. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of your, your, your listeners can't fight for justice on, cause they're just fighting the day to day. Yeah. But there are people like us that are, that are hopefully going to make their situation better. But in the meantime, they have to fight day after day. They got to do like what my parents did where nowhere every dollar comes in because you will be amazed yeah, and we have it so much easier than our parents did because we can just go online mm. and we can, you know, look. Track at, it. Yeah, we can track it. It's right there in our electronic you know, record on our bank account. Yeah. You know exactly how many times you've been to Starbucks, how many times you've, 
you know, picked up something and then bought four more things. Well, and I think that that's the thing that it comes down to is, you know, making sure, first and foremost, the first step is figuring out where all your money is going. Um, and again, you said it correctly. You can go on your bank and see uh, where, where that's going. If coffee is important, and coffee is important. It's sure important to me. As I'm drinking my tea here, I was like, yes, give me the caffeinated drugs. Um, it yes, is. please. <laughs> but is going to Starbucks the answer, or is it buying a coffee and making it at home? Mm -hmm. You can still have those moments that are yours. Um, and if you know you have to, if it's you know if you're if you're drinking wine, there's you know Trader Joe's and you can get two buck chuck. Yeah. Like there are ways to still do the things that you want that are cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that sometimes, again, it comes back to that like it's not fair. Well, life's not fair. No. We all learned that in what. By third grade, didn't we? Didn't we learn? I earned. I learned that every time I was eating my sardines. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to be I fair. remember my dad, who was a horrible, notorious cusser, saying, "Fair? Well, that's just bullshit." <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> no, and I think that that you know, at the end of the day, and I guess to be to be fair, I wasn't eating canned sardines. They were they were they were actual like. Fresh sardines. They were fresh sardines. Yeah, so. which now you can, you know, you buy as an appetizer for twenty-seven dollars the plate. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, we went to the we went to the fish market, and yeah. then it was just like you get a bag of sardines, and yeah. then that's what we did. So, yeah. but I'm just saying, at, at the end of the day, first see what that is on on what are because there are things that we cannot control. You cannot control your energy bill. Mm -mm. You cannot control if you don't have a mortgage and you have rent. You cannot control if your landlord is going to increase the rent. And it's not as easy to say, we'll just move. Mm -mm. Not anymore. Not anymore. No. So, but please know, guys, you can negotiate. You can negotiate with your landlord. So if they're raising the rent and you're a good tenant and you pay your bills on time, say, hey, I know you're increasing this and I'm sure your property taxes are going up, but I can't, I can't do the 250 a month additional. Are you okay with doing $100 a month? I'm willing to do that. Negotiate. Yeah. How often do you think they'd say yes? If you're a good tenant, I would say more often than not, because you know what? At the end of the day, it costs them money to kick you out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They got it. Now you got to replace it depending on how long you've been in there. Maybe they have to replace carpet or paint just because mm -hmm. from normal wear and tear, not because you did anything wrong. Right. Just living. Just living. Yeah. They got to come and replace that. Then they got to advertise. Right. Um, then they have to work with the right tenant for the timing to get them in there because you can't just move out and someone moves right back in. Right. Um, so I, it, they don't, they don't, yes, they want more money because their property, their costs do go up. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, it's not like they're banking everything. They're paying a mortgage and they're making a little bit on it. Yeah. Um, but you know, or say you can even negotiate Well, if I'm paying more, can you maybe fix the such and such? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, because you're paying more. Because you're paying more. You're the consumer, and you ha do have some power. Yeah, so yeah. so know that you do. Yeah. Know that you do. What's the worst they can say? No? Well, right. you're going to pay it or move out anyway. I think that <laughs> a couple of things come into play, especially for women. One is, um, you know, a lot of women have a fear of authority. Yes. So if somebody in a position of authority comes to them and says, this is what you're going to do, mm -hmm. a lot of women are going to say, well, I guess that's what I'm going to do. Um, so, you know, that's something to work on. Yeah. And then a lot of women, and I maybe this is more so than men, and maybe this mm -hmm. is a 100% mm -hmm. 
sexist mm-hmm. statement, but I think women maybe have more financial insecurity and fear. Oh, they definitely do. Okay. So it's no. not just me. <laughs> no, it's about, there's a statistic. Um, I forgot who came out with it, but I've heard it multiple times and read it in multiple places. There is a statistic that says, um, cause even when it comes down to like negotiating your salary, mm-hmm. um, that uh, women will apply for a job if they have 100% of the qualifications, yeah. requirements. Uh, men will, will apply if they have 70%. Yeah. And I mean, but think about that. I know. Um, and I think also, you know, I work with, um, I work with a lot of women. Um, I just upgraded, or um, up, I'm redoing my, my bio on my website to include that I, I work a lot with women as well as the LGBTQ community, because I, I do a lot. But with women, you know, it's interesting. I work with a lot of um, digital creatives. Mm -hmm. And so, like, web developers, graphic designers, art directors, you know, again, the creatives that don't want to talk about money. And I could talk about it in a fun way that they can understand. I'm not... I'm not trying to be the smartest person in the room. I'm an expert, but I like to climb the mountaintop with my clients, not preach from it. Mm-hmm. I want people to know why we're doing things that we're doing because, again, you got to live your own life because you die your own death. Right. And what's interesting is similar to financial services and I think um, some other industries, um, yeah, they're very male-dominated. Uh, uh, creative agencies, marketing and things like that are very, very male dominated. Mm-hmm. And so I work with a lot of women that um, they either get pushed out, like the environments are toxic. And yeah. so when I'm meeting with them, they're, they're making good money, but they don't feel heard. Um, they're definitely, there's the, the mansplaining of like, they'll have an idea and then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then a man will say the same idea and they're like, that's a great idea. Yeah. So that type of stuff happens all the time. So they either quit or they get pushed out because then when they do stand up for themselves, um, then it's like, you're now like, a you're an adversary. You have a, you have a bad attitude. Yeah. You know, you're not a team player. Right. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're also familiar. Yeah, that's uh. what I'm saying. So when I so what I've went with one of my clients, that's why I always start with an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Before you do any investing, just have some boring ass cash in the bank. That makes me no money, but that is your first step in any financial plan is having an emergency fund. Yeah. You know, protecting yourself. So that if you're in that position and you decide you're gonna go, you can't you rather have, than changing the culture. Yes. Yeah. You have and, and it provides you the space and time to then find something that's going to be a better fit for you. So I have a lot of clients as they've either they quit or they've been pushed out. um, They then freelance for a while. And Mm -hmm. when you're freelancing, you're now self-employed. You're doing the same thing, but you are making more because you can dictate your rates. But you don't have the stability. You don't have the constant influx of money. You also don't really have benefits kind of on your own. And so... Oftentimes, these women will then contract with companies, so they're basically working at a at a place. But again, they're they're taking on: Do I want this job or not? Do, mm-hmm. They're in control. So then, of course, they're doing a great job. So these companies were like, "Hey, we want to hire you full time." I see it all the time. It's great. And then they come back of like, "I want to work here, but what they're offering me." I mean, I'm making so much more now, just doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you got to look at the whole benefits package. Like again, what's your benefits coming along with that? But also. I was talking to this one woman, let's call her Sarah, and she was saying she was making about 107 on her own. And she was like, well, the job that they're giving me is, is that they're offering is like 85. I said, cool. Ask for 130. And she said, 130? I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. 
what do you think you should be making? She's like, well, I was really hoping for 115. I said, yeah, then ask for 130. She's like, do you think that I can get it? I said, not only do I think you can get it, I work with men that are doing exactly the same thing, and that's what they're getting paid. Yeah. So go in there and ask. And she did. And she got 125. Nice work. But she was willing to take a job that's 85. And I, I know that these are maybe higher numbers for some of your listeners, but the same is true if you're working an hourly job. Mm-hmm. Minimum wages are going up around the country. Do you think that if you're, maybe you're not working a minimum wage um, job, but you're working maybe a, a low-skilled or labored job, or maybe it's retail, if minimum wage is 15 and you're not making minimum wage and you're making 17, don't you feel that you are entitled to more money than someone that maybe is working at a fast food place now making that? And businesses are going to have to be competitive with that. So know that. You have options that are out there, and it's starting to come more and more. And again, I don't necessarily know where everyone's located, so the situation might not be there yet. But But it's coming. It's coming. I hired um, one of my client's daughter's. Like a, she was home for college. I hired her for the summer because I needed people. I needed someone to just do the mindless like scanning and attaching files to electronic documents. Mm-hmm. Scan, shred, scan, shred. Just clean yeah. up things. Um, I was going to pay her like ten dollars an hour, and so for a college kid, I was like, oh, ten dollars an hour. That's pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, minimum wage went up to eleven twenty-five. Like the next month. And I was like, oh, I'll just pay her eleven twenty-five. But I mean, like, that's just a my intention of just, all right, well, if that's the case, I pay my other employee X amount of dollars. I was like, I need to be giving her a raise because I want her I want to be competitive. Right. I don't want then the staff that I'm paying more to be so close to the college kid that's just working this summer. That builds resentment. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. just know that employers are going to be in similar situations and you have value. And I think that that's where we women really fall down on things is we don't value our time. Right. We are. We have been enculturated to think that volunteerism is um, what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember just having one of those aha moments back when my kids were in elementary school Mm -hmm. and you look around the classroom and you see that all the moms are volunteering Mm -hmm. to do the scanning and the shredding and put up the bulletin board and bring in the snacks Mm -hmm. and help the teacher and you know take the kid who needs the special help across the room and you know you're providing really valuable services and it is assumed that women will provide them in the schools for free Mm -hmm. you don't often see the dads doing the same thing and Mm -hmm. when the dads are volunteering they are you know, doing something like ahead of a PTA committee. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing something else. They're not giving away their valuable time for free. And in our culture, this is, I mean, what if none of the moms did it? What would they do? Right. They would hire additional staff and pay them to do the things that mothers are doing for free because we right. don't value it. Well, and, it, and even again, it's, it's all spectrums of income. I just gave you an example of someone who was making six figures and still doubted her value. Yeah. And not only that, take the recent story of um, uh, the Michelle Williams and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. So, or Jessica Chastain and Viola Davis today. Right. I don't know what happened today because okay, so I've been in meetings all day. Um, 
they're coming up on a movie, and I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. And um, Jessica Chastain was getting paid for you know equal partnership mm-hmm. in a role mm-hmm. with Viola Davis. Jessica Chastain was making a whole lot more, so she went in and negotiated that. Viola Davis got the same salary with her, mm-hmm. and they ended up getting five times their financial ask. Yes, and that, but that's my point. That's, yeah. You're talking about the hundreds of thousands and the millions of dollars, and you still have these situations that happen, but it's up to us to demand it. Yeah. And now is really ripe for that, and we need to continue on that movement. But I'm just saying, like, Michelle Williams was willing to take a daily rate. Mark Wahlberg was like, I'm going to negotiate this. Yeah. And is it Mark Wahlberg's fault that he negotiated it? He's just doing what, He's just do, do right. what guys do. Right. And women are doing with what women do, which is just take what was given. Right. So always counter. Always counter. If you, if you take nothing else but that in this conversation, always counter because I see it all of the time. And I work with a lot of couples where women are making more money than their spouses, yeah. their, their male counterpart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I work a lot in the gay community as well, but in a situation. But I'll, I'll talk about lesbians in a second as well because it's the same. On, on the on a value piece where if you're um, if there's a heterosexual couple that I'm working with and let's say a woman is making more than her her husband when we're having these financial discussions on what we do should we make this is the recommendation they still defer to their spouse well what do you think honey where it's very rare the other way around where do you know what I'm saying oh yeah and so it's not even like She's making more. It's her call. I've even seen it where there's a man who's staying home with the kids because you see that more too. Mm-hmm. And they're still going to be like, well, like it's his decision. Yeah. And so I think there should be more e- egalitarian conversations. But here's the thing that's also interesting because I work with um, gay men and I work with gay women. So when it comes to gay men, will buy all the insurance possible life insurance, disability, long-term care. Um, they'll do all those things because they're like, well, we have the money. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay to wipe your ass. Like when you're old, I'm not gonna do that. Where, where women, on the other hand, will be like, well, I'll manage. I mean, it'll be hard if she wasn't here, but I'll manage. I'm like, or you can buy life insurance. Why should you suffer? Why are you not going to value your family? Yeah. To do those things because we 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 will continue to carry. We will always manage. Yeah, we always do. And we need to we need to start valuing ourselves. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I struggled with that early on in my business of um you know, because I do so much on the education side of things and when I, you know, I was, I wanted to help everybody and I was working hours, like just really long hours. And, um, I couldn't help everybody. And the reason being is like, I still needed to bring in an income because if I didn't, I could help no one. Right. And that shift, that oxygen mask mentality, that shift really grew my business. And I still now do, now I do a lot more educational seminars where I can still offer because I do want to help people that don't have the money to do things. Mm -hmm. But then I'm going to provide a space where I can bring a lot of them in a room and not do it one by one. Right. Because then they're getting the value that's there in the information. I'm providing the time, but now I can still meet with other people that 
are bringing in some income so I can continue to have free education. Sure. And I think we need to look at those things differently. But I did the same thing that I'm like, I had to be like, well, if I don't, if I don't have an income, well, then nobody gets me. Right. Right. And more people should. We have to shift the way that we think about things. Yeah. We just have to think think about women and money differently. And we need to stop looking at breadwinning and caregiving in a competition. Well, since you mentioned it, yeah. that is probably one of the most important cultural shifts that has yeah. to happen, is the recognition of value placed on women's work. Yes. And it's not women's work. You know, it's caretaking, not. Caretaking, family yes. raising is yes. not women's work. No. It's family work. Yes. However, it's not paid for. Right. How, but if women go to work... Right. Then somebody else gets paid to watch her children. Right. Now I'm not, you know, saying that we should live in a society where, you know, everything is paid for for everybody. Right. But all other developed countries in the world, all of yeah. them and many undeveloped countries pay family leave. Yeah. For a year. Yeah. Women are paid. Yeah. And Why aren't we doing it? Because we don't value women that much. We don't value women or families. Do you realize that um, if you watch, if you watch the news, any news, but specifically Fox News, but if you, which I don't, no, but, I, <laughs> but I'm familiar. There's there's a little propaganda station called Fox. <laughs> I heard it once. <laughs> but but even like MSNBC and, and liberal um, outlets, CNN, yes, it's the rant. But they will they will call Americans consumers before they'll ever call them citizens. Watch that, huh? I watch, will now. Watch that. Because when we talk about valuing families and valuing human life and all of these things, what they care about is dollars. And then even the new tax bill, which I won't get too deep into. Yeah, we won't today. It's really, they're still looking at tax credits of like, have more kids. We'll pay you to have more kids. But once once they're here, you figure it out. We, we're lo- I feel like we're losing the social fabric is being ripped out from underneath us. And we need to come together. And if there's one thing that has come from this awful, awful administration, it's that there is becoming more and more enclaves of community. Mm-hmm. Because That's true. Because growing up in an immigrant family, we had a community. Mm-hmm. You know, my, the, the way my parents built the American dream and became so successful is, yeah, I told you, my dad was a janitor. Well, they started their own janitorial company, and they employed their family. Mm-hmm. They employed... Well, the people from back home, when they came, they gave them jobs. And you see that in Mexican cultures. You see that in Indian cultures. You see that in cultures all around America they, yeah. that you, you enter these enclaves. And when, when people say that immigrants don't assimilate, they're working in a structure that is fighting against them. And this yeah. is the way to get ahead is to work together. And I think that the more Americans can recognize that, yeah. that if we can come together as a community, we can accomplish so much more. We can lift people out of poverty. Mm-hmm. But we need to trust each other and we need to come together and see that there it's not weak to ask for help. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it's more courageous to come together mm-hmm. than it is to just go it alone. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty selfish to go it alone. And it's something that a lot of new parents struggle with, especially new mothers. Yeah. The idea of you know, if you don't have your community already just mm-hmm. there helping you, yeah. you have to ask for help. 
Yeah. Well, whether but, that's with your baby or with your job or with your money or with your health or whatever it is. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of new babies um, when you're when you're giving birth. There's a lot of other women giving birth at the same time. Yeah. And they have their um, the dads that are frantic in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. I think if we, I mean, you got a whole network right there yeah. that's equally figuring things out. And if they're at the same hospital, they're probably in the same neighborhood. You know, the two, <laughs> families do meet up like that. They yeah. They'll have like the prenatal education course yeah. or the new parents, new baby course at the hospital. And it is a good way for people to meet up. You know, and, and continue to build those, build those relationships if you don't have, if you don't have family. Yeah. And I know that, um, I mean, again, coming from a place, I, I don't have kids of my own. I have a, a stepdaughter, um, but she doesn't live with us full time. And when we have her, she's that's all we we have with her. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned, you know, my my parents are in the Bay Area. I'm here in Portland, Oregon. My mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2008. I go down to California to help with that. Like that caregiving continues, and that's my role that I want to take on. My siblings all have kids. They they're not in a position to give in the way that I'm able to give back to my parents mm-hmm. and they need that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to abandon them yeah. in that. And, and, and I think that a lot of times we women pay that, play that sandwich where we're taking care of aging parents and we're taking care of young children and God bless you. I mean, I, that's, that's a tremendous thing to take on. Uh, yeah, and it is something that most women will take on. And um, my mom still does it for her grandmother. I well, mean, for my we, grandmother. We always do this for each other. Women always do this yeah. for each other if they possibly can. Mm-hmm. I remember when um, my two daughters were. Oh gosh, they must have been about one and two and a half. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was taking care of my mother who mm-hmm. had Alzheimer's disease. And my niece, because my sister was sick. Mm-hmm. So it was all about sandwich generation yeah. caretaking all over the darn place. And it was hard. And, of course, I was working. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. As a nurse, caretaking. And I remember this one woman who wasn't my friend for very long. But for a little while there, we were mm-hmm. hanging out. Our kids were about the same age. And she just sat me down one day and said, you just need to learn to say No. You just need to learn to say no to somebody somewhere. And I'm looking around at my sister and my mother and my daughter You're and like, my niece who? and my daughter. Yeah. And yeah, which one do I kick to the curb? Yeah. Yeah. No. You do it. You do it. You do it. You do it. Yeah. But I think that if you were, and let me ask you, if you could go back in time, would you have tried to build a network of support that you had some form of respite here and there? Well, I did. I had sisters. Okay. So I did have that network. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you you can't say no. But you can say, hold on. Well, you for can a moment. say no, and a lot of people do say no. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm like, I can't. You yeah, know? I know. Um, and that's, that's the thing that, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I got sick recently with mm-hmm. that awful fl- like bug that's been going on around, and I had to cancel um, my flight to go see my parents, and I was really bummed. So I'm going to go down now for instead of a long weekend, I'm going down there for a day mm-hmm. on my way to a conference. But it's one of those things of like you make the time, you you schedule it. Mm-hmm. You, it's a priority. It's a priority, and you know you can tell a lot by someone if you looked at their calendar mm-hmm. on what they prioritize. Their and calendar I, and their budget. Yeah, and I would recommend that you guys start prioritizing yourselves as well. Yeah, um, because again, no one can 
no one gets you if you're not here. Yeah. And and look at, again, where are you putting those dollars? And again, figure out what makes you happy and feed that joy too. Just don't go crazy with it. But it's important to to give yourself a little gift here and there financially. So if it is, like I said, if your advice is the Starbucks coffees, Mm -hmm. but that's costing you, um, you know, as far as it's bringing more stress than it is bringing joy, then make the buy Starbucks coffee and make it at home. And then maybe once a week, not every day, go sit in a Starbucks and drink your coffee. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't mean don't do all of it. I mean, don't, don't ever do it, but just don't do it as much. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. But you don't have to have an $8 no. multi-whip caramel no. frap mango <laughs> I told you this story a long time ago, but when I was growing my business, um, I need my car. My husband and I both work downtown. I need my car. He doesn't. So I would drive him to work and he would take the bus home uh, so we didn't have to pay for two cars to park because that's ridiculous. Um, and the bus stopped at a convenience store, a plaid pantry here in town, but it's like a 7-Eleven or a Circle K or something. Mm-hmm. Um, would stop. The bus would stop in front of that and he would buy a bottle of you know, white wine and a pack of peanut M&Ms every single day. And I was growing my business, so I was working 12 to 16 hours a day. So when I would get home, he'd be, you know, tipsy. There might be some wine left, but usually not. And then there'd be an empty wrapper of peanut M&Ms. And I, every day I'd see that. And it was just like more and more like rage and resentment because like I, I was working my ass off. I was barely bringing money in. I left a job where I made $90,000 a year. In my first year in business, I made three. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So try that on for size. And he was paying, spending like 10 bucks a day? $12 a day. I wasn't so, getting my hair dyed. I, I mean, I shop at thrift stores anyway, but I had one dress where the hem was breaking and I stapled it at work. So it's like $250 a month? It's uh, $240 a month, which is $2,880 a year. A year. In peanut M&M's. And white wine. And I remember I came home because I was like just working my butt off. Things were starting to get some traction. And I'm like, we need, I want to go away. Like we need to, we need to go on vacation. Like let's go to Hawaii or something like that. And he said, well, we don't have that kind of money. And I said, sure we do. We just spend it on stupid stuff. And he said, well, maybe you do. And I lost it. I, I was just like, what about your peanut M&Ms? And, and it was one of those things that it was like a come to Jesus moment that I, I did ask him though. Do you love peanut M&M's that much? Or is it the sheer habit that you are lonely because I'm never here? And um, it, you, the bus stops there and you just go in and just do this mindless thing. Is it, is it that you love this so much? That it's worth $12 every day. Or is it just that you're, that you're lonely and you're in a, a bad habit? And he said, well, I never really thought about it. I said, well, do, because we have a Costco card and there are cheaper ways to eat M&M's. Yeah. And... So once it was like brought to his attention, I mean, I think he was maybe putting, again, this was years ago, mm-hmm. I think he was maybe putting $2,000 a year in his 401k. He was putting more in peanut M&Ms. And, I mean, it's not even great wine. It's convenience store wine. Yeah, for Lord's sake. It's just, I'm Ugh. just, I'm just saying. It's a good example, though. It's a great, I mean, we do, we all do it all we the don't, time. We don't forget the Hawaiian vacations, guys. We forget the peanut M&Ms and white wine. So I would ask you, what, it, what are your peanut M&Ms and white wine? Yeah. And then, I remember hearing during the time of the reset, the big recession mm-hmm. in 2008, mm-hmm. that those that was a um, time when um, little things like nail polish and lipstick mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't know what the mm-hmm. equivalent is that yeah. guys would get, you know, mm-hmm. like 
the $8 purchase yeah. that you can slip into your mm-hmm. your basket when you're shopping. You yeah. don't even notice it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we made it. But, but those cut prices went up because... Or, the amount that people bought went yeah. up yeah. of those little tiny things because you needed a little treat, needed a little pick-me-up. Mm-hmm. So instead of going out and buying the $50 dress, you bought the $8 lipstick. Right, but I think that also coming back to value, look to see are we buying cheap consumer goods or should we buy save and buy something of quality? Yeah. Because what's going to last you? Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I really do love thrift store dresses is because they're really well made. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, like I was telling you like about my $7 dress, like very well made. So let's talk about that $7 dress yeah. story. It's yeah. a really, really good one. Yeah. Tell me. So um, I'm working on a project right now. Um, it's called Fashion, Finance, and Feminism. And it's going to be a fiscal calendar. And what I'm, I'm doing right now is I'm sourcing um, 16 women, because it'll be an 18-month calendar, uh, but I'm sourcing 16 women, um, C-level, C-suite, so CEOs, CFOs, executive-level women here in Portland area who are just doing awesome things, like they're just badasses. And what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to style them in different clothing from various um, decades and then pair that with what women could and couldn't do financially. And how I got the idea is um, I was putting away my costumes and things like that away from from Burning Man. And I came across this white, um, you know, polyester dress with like a wide collar. And it had these hot pink, orange and yellow and um, hot pink. Yeah, hot pink, orange and yellow triangles all over it. And they were in my costume bin from when my husband and I were Edith and Archie Bunker for Halloween, which was a very, I mean, hearkening back to that time as yeah. well. You know, yeah. it, was a, it was a fun costume. But this was years ago. And so I saw it in the bin and I was like, you know, now I've, that I've been, built my practice and I'm okay being dressed eccentric. Mm-hmm. I don't, you won't see me in a business suit, ladies. Um, I, I thought, well, I could probably pull that off at work. You know, with the right tights and the right accessories, I could probably work that. So I wore this crazy, bright 60s dress um, to work. And when I got here, everyone was just really drawn to it. They're like, oh my God, Charlene, it's such a beautiful dress. And I, I just kept on saying, thanks, it's vintage. I got it for $7. Next person, like, oh, it's such a great dress. So I was like, thanks, $7, vintage. And I kept telling, I, I had this story about this dress, because I know I spent $7, and clearly it's vintage. But that's all I knew about the dress. And as I was going on through my day, I thought, the original owner of this 1960s dress spent way more than $7 for it, and she couldn't even get a credit card. And here I am running my own financial... Because women weren't allowed to have a credit card. No, we weren't allowed. In, in the 1960s, we were not allowed to yeah. get credit cards. Yeah. And here I am running my own financial planning practice. I have two female employees, and I have a view of Mount Hood and the Willamette River up on the 16th floor mm-hmm. of the 200 Market Street building. Look where that dress went. And I just thought, like, how amazing is that on how far we've come? But then I thought... Well, what else couldn't women do? And I went down this rabbit hole. So I was born in 1980. I'm 37 years old. Did you know in my lifetime, up until 1981, a single woman who was either who single, divorced, or widowed woman, regardless of income, like how much money she made, or creditworthy, she could not get a mortgage without a male cosigner. Yes, I am aware of that because I'm a good 20 years older than you. Yeah, I yeah. that blew my mind. Yep. Up until 1978, a woman could still be fired for being pregnant. Yep. And so I just thought, 
I think that we women from, a, you know, especially younger generations, really need to know what women have gone through, and especially, I mean, even women of color, how far we've gone and why, how far we've come and yet how far we have not come. Right. Because, again, that, that, that systemic um, mindset that we are not of value, we also have the cards stacked against us to do things. And so I think that it's, you know, again, this is going to be a, a marketing calendar, obviously, you know, for myself and for the women that I want to showcase. Um, I'm still trying to source those women, so if any Portlanders are listening now. Okay. Um, but I want to show how far that we've come because on the last day of every month, it's going to say, have you contacted Charlene Charisma to work on your financial plan? Because I want, as people keep turning the calendar month after month, have if you haven't take, taken action to start taking <coughs> ownership of your finances in your life, what are you saying and doing to all the women that have come before you? What's crazy is I learned that, um, I don't remember the time period, but I believe it was the late 1800s, maybe early 1900s, uh, a woman could go to law school and get a law degree, but she couldn't practice law. Yeah. <laughs> How about you do all the work, know all these things, and then we're not going to pay you. Right. Basically, you could be a law clerk to your, to your spouse. Or she could provide volunteer services. Yep. Yep. I mean, so I just want to, I want people to know that. And I just thought, how fun would it be to juxtapose, you know, and harken back to vintage styles, mm -hmm. but then really pair it with um, kind of the horrific things that we could not do. It, but kind of the great part of that is that you're using the money that you earned from this program. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So um, I'm, I'm not going to charge for the calendar, but I was going to do an ask, um, and I was going to donate all the money to the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, uh, which um, I sit on their board. And it's basically um, uh, kids that identify as girl. Um, they, it's a summer camp where you get assigned an instrument, and you join it. Basically, you, you, have, you have an instrument you've never learned. Uh, with people that you don't know, and you put together a band, mm -hmm. um, and you have to write an original song. You have a concert at the end of the year, and I, or the end of the week. And the thing I love about it is that it's <clears throat> what women are really good at, which is collaboration, right, um, and creativity, and being scrappy. But what it really teaches, and I think that um, young girls really need to get this message, is that we don't have to be perfect. Right. It's okay to be messy. It's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not just be perfect. And I right. think if we can get young women or young girls that message early on, like, I can't wait to see what the future holds for that generation then. I agree. Yeah. Well, we're going to just ask a couple more mm -hmm. questions here. But there's actually about 15 more things I could ask. <laughs> Sorry. So we'll do a second episode about money and women down the road. Yeah, no sweat. But for today, I want to know, how do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Um, running a business was hard. <laughs> I know that sounds stupid, but like, I don't know. I've just been a big proponent of you take care of people. They take care of you. And uh, I don't think I was prepared to <clears throat> struggle as long as I did. That's a good fill in. Okay. I think you're sort of surrounded by it between your clients and your responsibilities mm -hmm. with your mom, but I'm going to ask you, mm -hmm. where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? Um, so I'm, I'm a stepmom, mm -hmm. um, and 
my stepdaughter's 17, and she was six when my husband and I got together. Now, she lives in southern Oregon, which is about three hours away. So um, I think that right now I'm a little sad on where our relationship is that um, I'm definitely working on. A teenager is very much the one-word answers and the (coughs) text messaging, and (coughs) when they live three hours away, um, it's hard to, it's almost like she's a different person every time we see her. Yeah. Um, and I, I long for that. Um, and I'm realizing that, uh, you know, when people are like, oh, remember when you were her age? Well, I guess I, I grew up in a, <laughs> I grew up in a house that had a lot of rules. Yeah. You didn't talk back to your parents. <clears throat> so I was raised a little differently that I can't really relate to, I don't know, you just, I did what I was told. <laughs> um, right. And um, I'm hoping that when t- um, I want her to dream bigger, mm-hmm. and I hope that she go leaves Oregon to go to school. Um, and so I'm hoping that our relationship will get stronger the older that she gets. But I think that right now it's just about her friends. Yeah, that's and 17 for you, man. Yeah, no, it it's is. Rough. It is, and <clears> I, I got I, one of those myself. And I have to remove myself from the situation that you know when I when I get my feelings hurt, it's not. It's not about me. (laughs) And I think that that's where I really struggle is that um, there's a part of me that wants it to be about me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that helps. Oh, it does. And I think that it's especially probably relevant to parents whose, you know, maybe their first child is 17. Mm -hmm. And so it's your first time to see, oh, man, that's what teenagers are like. Yeah. I think... Excuse my froggy voice. I think that that's sort of nature's way of making it possible that they can go away and we can let them go. Yeah. Is that they're they're a little bit self-centered and surly and rude at that age. Yeah. And I think that's the case for a lot. But, um, you know, when you have a few, Mm -hmm. you recognize, oh, yeah, that's 17 again. Mm, That goes away. (laughs) And then they come back. Yeah, you know, they come back. It's 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 interesting that you say that because you know I said that you know I did what I was told. I mean, I didn't. I didn't. I'm I lived two separate lives when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. It was the I. It was what my parents knew about me, and then the life that I was living behind the scenes. Right. Um. And I had a, I've had a job since I was fifteen, just so I had one more thing out of the house. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until it's kind of how I got into activism. My my first protest was the WTO protest in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I was. <clears throat> I was 19, and I had never seen that type of um, violence, really. And I was scared. I was terrified. My parents had no idea I was there. You know, I drove from Santa Cruz, California, with a bunch of strangers I met in college at a teach-in. What year was that? 1999. Okay. It was November of 1999. It was my second year away at college. Um, I worked full-time while I was in school, but my parents were on vacation. They had no idea that I was there. And I was scared, but what I was mostly scared of, I don't know mostly, but what was in the back of my head that really changed the relationship I had with my parents now is I thought if something happens to me, because like I said, you know, I mean, the cops were shooting rubber bullets into the crowd and there was tear gas and some guy next to me got his teeth knocked out with rubber bullets. There was just blood everywhere. And that was like two inches from my face. And I was, I was really scared. And I thought if something happens to me, my parents would never know who I actually was. Right. And I made that commitment to then slowly start 
giving them little tastes, you know, here and there. Of who you really Of are. who I really was. Yeah. Still in a safe place, you know, like when I got arrested in Washington, D.C. for protesting the prison industrial complex, you know, I told my mom about it in the middle of Macy's just so she didn't slap me in front of all, the, in front of all those nice people. Like, find your safety. Smart but, move. You know, I've, I've always been a planner. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that... Uh, I think that that's the thing that I'm 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 sad about, you know, with with my stepdaughter. She's a she's a good kid. She's mm-hmm. a great kid, mm-hmm. um, and I just feel like um, I'm not not only am I not at the front row of the you know amazing young woman she's becoming, um, I'm not even at the show. You will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, but you that that's kind of where I'm at, you yeah. know. Now it's just it just makes me sad. I know it's, <laughs> it's rough on parents. But it's most of the time, exactly where we have to be. To yeah. Go no, I know. Have to be. I got to be like, it's not about me. It's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> well, Charlene, this has been a lot of fun today. Oh, good. And and I do think we should do a part two. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. All right. Hopefully, cool. it's helpful for your listeners. I think it will be. Cool. Okay. Bye. Bye. Our guest today was Charlene Charisma, a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual. And you can learn more about her at charlenecharisma.com. Oh, wait, nope. charlenecharisma.nm.com. So Charlene's name definitely needs some spelling. Um, Charlene is standard C-H-A-R-L-E-N-E. Charisma, Q-U-A-R-E-S-M-A. .nm.com. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. And since we're spelling J-E-A-N-N-E, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Go find Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting over on the Parents on Demand Network or on iTunes or Stitcher or Megaphone or wherever you find your podcasts. Go pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, wherever books are sold. Email me, Jean at Jean Faulkner. Tweet me, at Jean Faulkner. Find us on Instagram. Send me your questions. And uh, let's all keep talking about this important information of ours. Common Sense Pregnancy is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and we'll talk again next week. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said.